0: The IndyCar had the weekend off, and speaking of IndyCar, we have a very special guest in the studio. I'd like to introduce you to the race engineer of the number 27 Honda-powered Andretti Autosport machine that's driven by Alexander Rossi, Mr. Jeremy Millis, in the studio with us today. Jeremy, good evening, and thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, no problem. You forgot NAPA. NAPA. <laughs> <laughs>
0: always, always gotta plug the sponsors yep and, and i'll tell you what that, that 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 blue and yellow uh napa livery is just beautiful and classic I've uh, been in racing a long time i know i've got a couple of um rossi diecast i've got the indy 500 winner but then when they come out with the new car i say, well i gotta get the new car so but uh good looking car that you work on there but uh So, I just wanted to ask you quickly, you know, about your background. I mean, did you grow up as a race fan uh, with designs on working in racing um, when you grew up, or did you just kind of find that your particular education and training had practical applications that led you into racing?
1: Um, So, one of my uncles had a, uh, you know, a machine shop that built race engines. So, When I originally started, I wanted to be an engine builder. So I went to a technical college and was like, I want to build race engines. And then as I was driving, I was in Lima, Ohio, and I lived in Columbus. So it's like 120 mile an hour or 120 (laughs) 120 mile uh, drive each way. And I passed, every day I would pass this uh, Formula Atlantic team, which is like the feeder series to the IndyCar series back then. And I just stopped in one day and was like, hey, do you guys need help? And they were like can you use a computer and I was like yeah and then I started doing that for a while and I was like I don't want to build engines anymore so <laughs> I went back to school and, <laughs> and uh, got an engineering degree and, and went from there
0: now you've uh, you've worked for uh Panther Racing uh, you worked under John Menard you were with uh Penske for a while um most re- yep. most recently before working with uh with the Andretti team, uh you were with um Sarah Fisher and Ed Carpenter, uh where you worked with Joseph yep. Joseph Newgarden. Uh that was your first gig yep. as the um as a race engineer. Um so you've uh mm-hmm. you've worked so you worked your way up from the bottom, so to say?
2: Yeah.
1: Um I also did a stint with Bill Davis racing uh in NASCAR for a bit with Tommy Baldwin, but Yes yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you did. I had enough. I had enough. <laughs> so I went back north.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember. I remember when you, I remember when you were there. Yes,
1: sir. <laughs> I still talked to Tommy a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to Tommy too as well. <laughs> what a small world! You and Gray work together. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, I'm
3: sorry, I send you my most deep condolences. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, now, yeah. So now, so now, you, you, so you, so you've worked in IndyCar, you've worked in NASCAR. Now, uh, now, Gray, Gray, you've got a question about um, how the day-to-day operations differ.
2: Yeah, Jeremy, you know, you know how we operated in, in NASCAR and how how the for for lack of a better term, the bureaucracy kind of starts out, you know, with your crew chief and you got your car chief and, and that kind of stuff. And it filters down. You have your shop foreman's and things like that. You know, for our listeners out there, uh, do, how does the IndyCar shop operate? Uh, uh, does it operate in much the same way as the NASCAR shop does? And also kind of take us through a... Uh, a typical race week where you where you get back in the in the shop on Monday morning and you start preparation and and to to go out for the next week.
1: Um, I would say it operates. You know, it's just there's fewer people because we don't have to prepare as many cars. So, but it operates in the exact same manner. Uh, we just have different titles. Like uh, the race engineer in IndyCar racing is essentially the crew chief in NASCAR and. A race engineer in NASCAR would be the assistant engineer in IndyCar racing, and then it just kind of goes on down. The car chief, crew chief, kind of thing works exactly the same. Are you responsible as NASCAR?
2: Are you responsible for basically? I mean, do you come in with your guy, your setup guys, and things like that, and you're responsible for the for the setup that's going to go in the car for the for the upcoming weekend and and all the Particular changes and, and and what you're gonna the package you're gonna install on the race car for the for the week do you kind of uh, set forth that protocol and then send it down to your guys to 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 prepare the car?
1: Yeah, uh, like I said, essentially the same as NASCAR. So I, I get together with my simulation group and and my assistant engineer and we we get together and we run through. You know, first thing is look at what we did last year, what we tested, how we performed, and are we going to start there? Are we going to start somewhere different? And then we we go from there, and then run through as many simulations as we as we can to get um, prepared for directions we might have to go. Because as as you guys know on the panel that you might show up <laughs> you might show up with a car that you're expecting to understeer, and you only have changes set up to Mm-hmm. Or, or picked out to uh, fix understeer, and you show up and you're loose, and you're like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, you know, go through and we just come up with a, a, you know, list of ideas and directions to go, and then we move forward from there.
2: As, far as personnel on the road, do you? Uh, how many people uh, that, uh, are used uh, under your uh, direction at the racetrack to to take care of the twenty-seven?
1: Um, probably, let's see. I'd say. Fifteen or twenty total people per car in IndyCar. car. Um, okay. So there's there's four mechanics, a crew chief, and there's a data acquisition engineer, an assistant engineer, a race engineer, race strategist, which is on my car is actually the general manager of the team as well. Um, and then there's you know the truck drivers and other other pit guys. So. Okay.
0: Now, I did want to ask you about the the relationship between yourself and the race strategist. who Rob Edwards calls the strategy on the car. There, do you guys confer very closely on um, on strategy, or or does that kind of just lie with him and and you're more with the car, or or have have there been any times you guys are just been diametrically opposed to what strategy you should run?
1: Uh, I would say. <laughs> uh... I would say Rob's braver than I am most weekends. And so, so a lot of the strategy starts out with the race engineer and the assistant engineer. We do a lot of prep work and then we hand it off to Rob because he doesn't have as much time to dedicate to that because he's running the team, the entire team, not not just the IndyCar side, but the formula E team and the uh, supercar team in Australia and all that. So, so we prepare, you know, these are, these are what we think is going to happen. This is what we think is going to happen in the, uh, and then we get together uh, before the race, and we have about a 30-minute meeting with the driver and our engine tech from Honda. And we go over what we think is going to happen, and we go from there. But a lot of times, you know, especially especially road course racing, oval racing is pretty much um, a standard uh, strategy because you can get trapped by yellows really easy where you don't in road courses. So road courses it ebbs and flows a lot. So you just have to be ready to make a, a quick decision. So we are analyzing data live as we're, as we're watching the race, you know, what our gap is, where we're going to come out on track, which is what we call a ghost car. So we have a ghost car set up for where we're going to be on track. So if we're going to come out into, like, you know, an open, an open slot between cars and things like that. Mm-hmm, hmm yeah.
0: See now, now Gray often mentions whenever NASCAR is on a road course that they work the strategy backwards. Is that is that similar yep. in IndyCar as well?
1: I, I, the pre-event, yes, that's that's how we do it. Like you know, we're trying to like one of the things when we were doing Iowa because the uh, the tires had such a, a fall off. It was how many pit stops are we going to do? And it was well, if we do an extra pit stop in here, our lap time is going to be this, and we'll actually get to the checkered flag 20 seconds before the car that does two stops or, or did three stops, however many, <laughs> the minimum. I think it was three. And we were going to do four. And uh, so it was, you know, oh, we'll get there 30 seconds before. That's if we can get through traffic as quickly as, as, as we predicted and if there's no yellows and things like that. So, yes, you start by working backwards and coming up with, Okay, these three strategies seem to work, and then you kind of watch what's going on in the race to see which one you need to pick. I would say is what what mainly mm-hmm. happened.
0: Excellent. Now, Joe, you've got a you've got a question, sir?
4: Yeah, I was actually uh, kind of wondering. You've dealt with with Joseph Newgarden, and you've now you've dealt with Rossi for a little bit more than a season and a half here. Can you compare maybe a little bit of what you see out of out of both of them from a feedback perspective? Like, is Rossi similar to New Garden or a little bit more animated? I mean, can you describe a little bit of that?
1: Uh, yeah, Like, I would say their driving styles are, are super similar. Um, like, it was really nice because, like, the kind of setups I developed with Joseph kind of continued to work with Alex because they're both, you know, they're both very hard-breaking and um, they both uh, – like even even like their throttle tip in you know we have maps for how the throttle map come, tips into the engine they they both run very aggressive throttle tip in so they they like to rotate the car with the throttle a lot and so like it, it was very similar and like at when I was at ECR we were the only car that had that super aggressive throttle tip in and when I'm at Andretti we're the same thing we're the only car that has a super aggressive tip and everybody else is like this really digressive curve and we're you know, very progressive curve and they're really different. So yeah, I'd say they're they're very similar. Like Joseph is much more uh I don't know. He's better on T V <laughs> than Alex is <laughs> Alex is Alex is just as funny and great to hang out with as as Joseph, but he's you know, on T V he's just kinda quiet and like, I just wanna do my job and get out of here so, whereas Joseph's like, Yeah, let's talk and <laughs>
4: Well, let me let me ask you this one. Whenever you've got a guy like well, like Alex, who, for my money, I look at him and he's like a bulldog on a racetrack. I mean, that guy just he's tenacious. He goes after it each and every lap. He, you know, he's giving it everything. Do you get how how anxious do you get on that on, up on that box? Uh, just whenever you see him, like St. Pete, when we see him at Detroit. I mean, how how tough does it make you, or how stressed do you get whenever you watch him try to tear through the field and make some moves that he does? <laughs> I, he has so like with Joseph, his first couple of years, we,
1: there was, there was a race in Brazil that we stopped because we had no more front wings <laughs> and Joseph was really embarrassed at the end of the race. Cause they came and gave him a trophy for the fastest race lap. But yet we had had to stop because we we're like, we we don't have any more front wings. You've hit everything. <laughs> But with Alex, I haven't had that yet, so I haven't ever had to, like, pull the reins back. I just, like, let him go. Like, he, like well, you're, you're, you you're obviously know what you're doing, and if you want to go high line and try and pass everybody, like, I'll be it. Go for it. So.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. All right, now, Richard, you've got a couple of questions? <laughs> um,
3: Yeah, one of the things that, um, you know, you, you see a lot in, especially what i come from it in the formula one world is driver coaching from the standpoint how much do you really have to do that or is it you know i i often see it's the formula one guys they've got so many people doing everything that they're trying to hit every little mark possible and and some of this driver coaching goes a little bit over the top to my mind um, is that something you have to do with the guys in indycar
1: So when I was at ECR, um, well, when I was at, well, we'll call it Sarah Fisher Racing, then it became CFA Racing, then it became ECR. (laughs) Uh, So when I was at that group of teams (laughs) uh, and running Joseph, we had, first we had Barry Waddell as a driver coach, and I I give him a lot of credit for bringing Joseph to where he was. He, like, and and myself, honestly, like, Mm -hmm. at, at that point, Joseph and I were, uh, struggling too hard to make a car that was able to make the ultimate lap time, but it was way too hard to drive. So we rarely would transfer rounds in qualifying because Joseph couldn't do the perfect lap. But if he could, it was like, oh, yeah, we're fast. Yeah. So Barry kind of pulled the reins back on us and was like, you know, just give him something he can drive and let him go do his craft. And so yeah. we started doing that, and we started having success. And then when yeah. it became ECR racing, we have Lee Bentham, who is also a super – super coach <laughs> and he does a lot of other stuff like he does dartfish and things for yep. the team yeah,
3: yeah.
1: um so yeah at that team we did at andretti we have zero uh driver coaching so i, I have to kind of step back into that rule which mm-hmm. i don't really enjoy doing i i prefer having a driver coach because especially if the driver is doing something wrong i would prefer somebody else talk to him that way that yeah. you know we don't get yeah any feathers ruffled between the two of us, if I'm saying, oh, you're doing this wrong, it's easier that, for Well, you to just... get in
3: the car and drive it, you know?
1: Yeah, that wouldn't work. I wouldn't yeah.
3: fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that about, uh, jo- you know, Joseph being a very, you know, to start with, putting the, you know, a complete lap together. When I first started out in Form 1, I was working with Takuma Sato at Honda, and he was exactly the same. Oh, I worked with him too. was just <laughs> so fast so so fast yeah you know, you and like one of the
1: bravest guys
3: oh just a completely <laughs> crazy man but if, if you know if you could qualify based on sector times the guy would be phenomenal but uh you know it's interesting yeah. how you know learning that sort of craft of racing and that diligence of of putting a complete lap together it may not be spectacular and you may not get uh, you know the uh the the, the the car going sideways as often but i'll tell you your spare parts guys are a lot happier <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree.
1: Like um like uh, J.R. Hildebrand, I worked with him at Panther and he, he's one of those guys that man, there's there's always there's always really good segments, but it just never it never got put together to 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 you know, produce the right lap and there's a lot of times even with Alex we'll be at weekends and we'll be like going through the timing and scoring and I'd be like, Oh man, we're like seventh here, and like our best segment we're second, but we're like fifth to seventh for everywhere and i'm like yeah but we're we're second right so <laughs> like no the the guy who's got three first also has a 15th down here so you know we, we just got to stick with what we're doing and, and yeah. go forward so.
3: and i guess you sort of try and build that into the car set up a little bit as well especially if you're i guess you're at some of these road courses where you have quite distinct you know setup of the track and, and sectors of the track you've got to try and find that balance so that you're not really fast in one sector, but then that compromises, compromises the rest of the track. And I guess that's working with the driver's style and the driver setup to try and, and find that balance.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there was a uh, a year with Joseph at Baltimore. There was a chicane on the front stretch, and Joseph yeah. was a half second faster than any other car through there. But we were, like, 12th in every other sector. But, it, like, we qualified, like, fourth. So we're like, okay, we'll take it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the things that uh, you know, obviously, uh, has been one of the hot topics in IndyCar this season. But uh, any chance that you guys are expanding your driver lineup next year?
1: I mean, there's lots of rumors about the McLaren doing <laughs> <in> that, but <laughs> I have no idea. No,
3: you'd be the last to and know. I'm the, sure.
1: the, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the rumor of Scott Dixon coming over—that would be yeah. that would be pretty amazing. I'd love to work with that guy. So, <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know. I I heard a rumor today that uh, Alonzo was headed back to Ferrari now that Sergio was out of the picture. I'm like, wow, you wrote that fast. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but um, you know, now now that we're we're talking about this and and the moves, I want to ask you, uh, Jeremy, about just like the overall health of the series. Um, There was a lot of optimism coming into this year um, with the new car, uh, new teams on board. Um, but then, then we've got, you know, a couple of, of, you know, kick in the pants things like Phoenix being dropped, um, and things like that. But, uh, I mean, overall, uh, is the mood around the paddock and the garages uh, still quite optimistic? Um, uh, you know, the NBC deal for next year and whatnot. Um, uh, you know, what's everybody's, you know, kind of feeling about the overall health and, and well being and future of the series? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, <laughs> there's optimists, and there's pessimists, <laughs> and there's realists, and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think everybody's really excited about the new TV package, because I, it, it seems like they're, the they're willing to put in more effort than the former group did, so everybody's really excited about that, um, I think, from what I've read, the the streaming rights aren't quite as good as the old, old streaming rights were, so that, that's a negative, but, I think everybody's pretty excited about that. And then, I mean, tracks come and go. I, I love oval racing. But, man, if we could have street courses every single weekend, like, we pack fans into them. And they're great events because I don't know what it is about racing, but racing in general is dying in my book. <laughs> like, I, I watch everything, and everything's TV ratings are down. But but so is the NFL, the NFL TV ratings are down. NBA rate TV ratings are down. So so I, I don't know. I, I guess to me, I kind of watch just how many people show up because I I you know I can't see how many people are watching on TV and and like a lot of our street course races are are crazy packed and they're great atmospheres and people can come and get there you know because people have a much shorter attention span these days it seems like so they can come and get there. Thirty minutes of IndyCar, and then they can go, you know, drink some beer and eat some hot dogs and walk around and, you know, have have a you know carnival atmosphere almost.
2: Yeah, you bring up a good point there because I think the street when they have the street things, they get the the town or the community involved and it becomes more of a festival type type atmosphere and it probably does bring in it's a once a year thing and they bring out uh, a festival of speed if you will. They bring out uh, bring out the fans.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you look at, like, I love airplanes, and that's my passion. (laughs) And if you look at, like, the Red Bull Air Racing Series, like, they go to Texas, and it dies after one year, and they come to Indy, and it's a pretty good show, but then they do the one, I think it's downtown Budapest, and it's, like, half a million people piled in the streets just watching them. It's, like, I think that's what most events, and I think that's what NASCAR needs to move move to as well. I think it would help them a bunch.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think there's a whole new generation that is not as captivated by automobiles and auto- automobile racing as uh, us older guys have been you, you know it's like uh, my my son is 20 he's had his driver's license since he's 16 still rides his bicycle everywhere he doesn't want to own a car he's not worried about it but uh, there, and there's tons of young people like that with these short attention spans so uh, i i guess it's crafting the sport or crafting the event uh to make it more palatable to the younger generation and and to your point, these street circuits, you know, where there's so much going on, you can watch a little bit of the race or you can you go see this a live band playing in, in turn three or, or whatever. And uh, just just to try to reach out to that that new generation. And, and sometimes I think races just need to be shorter. Now, not IndyCar races. It, the two hour I think the two hour. uh
5: of a winner
0: uh, thing that works well but um now jeremy i want to ask you about the indycar schedule because uh, my good friend robin miller often writes that <laughs> that the the indycar schedule is absolutely grueling on the cruise where they have this compressed schedule and these races back to back and testing in between um and you're you're a family man um you know you've uh, you know robin writes that you're keeping these guys away from their family for so long cuz they don't have shop guys and road guys but uh I mean is it is is it that grueling and and is there a way to kind of fix that
1: Um so having worked in NASCAR, I would say that we
5: <laughs>
1: we spend we, we we work more hours than most of the NASCAR crews, but we do it for a shorter portion of the season. So I think it kind of equalizes, like, like we got back from Toronto and so we landed at like two o'clock in the morning, got home back at the shop at nine o'clock the next morning, you know, so I like got to bed at three, got to the shop at nine, worked until probably five and then I came to my house and worked until probably 10 or 11 and then back the next day, you know, to kind of do the same thing from eight to five and then back home and then I worked from seven to 11 at home. And then we got on a bus and we went to Saint Louis at from seven we got on the bus at seven in the morning, went to Saint Louis, tested from one o'clock in the afternoon till eleven o'clock at night, loaded up at midnight, drove back home and got home at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> to to go in the next day at uh noon to get the cars ready for mid Ohio. So yeah, wow. it's it's hard. <laughs> it was fun though, isn't it? And,
2: and for that for that time compressed time period, from what like you guys start, and, and of course you have your your all uh, your preseason tests at Sebring and stuff in late February, and then you start and start mid March, and then you run through September. Obviously, that is that's very, it is very compressed. But when it comes to the off season, you guys have the longest off season in in, in most sports. And I know a lot of of smaller teams kind of they they lay off people, they furlough people and stuff. You you had the fortune of working with 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 one of the larger teams that has other interests. Uh, what goes? What do you guys do in the off season? at and at, at Andretti. How does How does your off season compare to like you know NASCAR? We have a short off season. Well, you know we work probably our, our busiest time of the year is from. Uh, Thanksgiving to, uh, you know, two weeks, be, two, three weeks beyond
1: uh, Daytona. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, it's kind of the same. So I think the main difference between NASCAR and IndyCar is we just don't have as many, you know, as, as large of group, as many personnel. So when there's, there's only really one team, which I would say is probably Penske now. There used to be Penske and Ganassi. That have the capability to do much development work during the season, except for like a little bit of seven post testing. Well, I mean, a lot of seven post testing, but no no major part development during the season because you just don't have the personnel at the shop to do it. So when our off season comes, it's bam, we're full mode, you know, to trying to develop the car to go quicker. Okay. So it's, 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 it's really busy it. still. So, okay, so <laughs> like basically, when I was at,
2: yeah, your design and your, your design and development ramps up after set what you're saying basically after September and you start doing your s- simulation and you use the shaker rig and the seven posts and all that. The, all that stuff ramps up and continues through through the off season. Correct?
1: Yeah, well we we still we still seven post test and wind tunnel test and all that during the season, but that that's as much as we can do. It's it's when we're in the off season. Mm-hmm. is you know product design so mm-hmm. we all we all learn how to use cat again because <laughs> right. we haven't used it for six months and then we start you know filling up the machine shop and backing them up and yeah so it's basically that it's it's all it's all design work in the in the off season and i use you were saying that some teams you know uh lay people off and i would say that i don't know of any teams that are except for teams that maybe might close their doors but I don't think anybody has the okay. ability to, yeah. to do that anymore, which right. is okay. a good thing. <laughs>
2: that is a good. That is a good thing. I mean, you know, we, we, I, I've heard where some team, you know, and and of course, I, I'm, I'm basing my limited knowledge on things I've read, you know, in years past and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's that that is good because we had heard, you know, that some teams, some of the smaller teams that. Just didn't have the work and the capability, would, would furlough some folks during the uh, and then used a lot of contract labor and stuff like that during the uh, mm-hmm. during the season, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, There's there's been years when <laughs> when the team has talked, when uh, the team is like offered or, or mentioned, uh, maybe you know, giving you a few mo- or two months off, <laughs> and it's like. And it's kind of tempting, <laughs> <laughs> like no pay. Yeah, I think I can. I think I can swing that. <laughs> but two months to just uh, <laughs> ah,
0: yeah. just now. Now, Joey, you've got another question.
4: Yeah, um, kind of. I've talked to Rossi and a bunch of other drivers about this because we have always been, from the media standpoint, we've always had to compare what the old kit did versus this universal arrow kit but from a from an engineering perspective i mean what are some of the challenges that that you face in trying to get the edge whenever you have a a universal arrow kit that you know one through 24 on the grid has i mean how do you what what, where do you try to find that edge is it the damper program is it is it little mechanical things i mean what can y'all do to try to get that edge every weekend it's it's
1: Tiny little bits in every single area and adding them up, you know, like uh, the, the uprights that the tires actually bolt to, the spindle that the wheel bolts to, you know, finding a tenth of a horsepower there and then finding, you know, two pounds of drag in the wind tunnel and, oh, we were able to take three pounds off the car, so now we've got a better weight distribution. It's, it's adding, it's the sum of many minuscule changes is what makes you faster with the universal kit,
4: i guess and then to that point i mean which do you enjoy a little bit more from an engineering standpoint did you enjoy what we had previously or are you really enjoying what you've got now
1: Uh, i mean i i think they're kind of the same for us because they're both still given to us right we can't we can't go out and design a new wing or anything like that so for us it's kind of the same thing it's just both engine manufacturers have the same product now. So there's no there's no excuse that, oh, we're not going to be good at this circuit, but we'll be really good at this circuit anymore, right? So now you have to be just as good as everybody at every circuit, whereas with the Honda Aero Kit, we were really good on super speedways and average on road courses and street courses and really poor on short Now we have no excuse, and we have to be as good as everybody else. All the time, so I think that's really the only difference to us, because you know, like I said, it's, it's given to us from the manufacturer before.
3: So,
0: all right, now Richard, you got one more before we.
3: Uh... Yeah, well, I've got, i got maybe two, maybe sneak a third in there as well. it. Well, but... um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so one of the things that I found most interesting, and I guess I, I get this and. Uh, coming from the you know the Formula One background over in Europe, and obviously with your you know driver, it's a you know potentially slightly difficult question to answer. But you are seeing you know more and more guys coming over from from Formula One. You know, I mean, you've had Takuma Sato, Rubens Barrichello, obviously Alexander Rossi, Max Chilton, guys like that. You know, come over and be successful. Um, mm-hmm. And they're often sort of introduced as this, oh, this guy from Formula One and all this sort of stuff. And I find that a little bit frustrating because these guys are, are they're either called the retired Formula One driver or a Formula One reject. And I find that massively unfair <laughs> because these guys are all super fast. And when you get to the Formula One level, the IndyCar level the NASCAR level, the, the difference between the top guys and the second and you know, even the top guys and the bottom guys is, is so minute that it's. You know, you, it's very unfair to turn around and call these guys oh, a you know a has been or whatever. And in a way, I wish that these guys would come in and people wouldn't talk about their former One background as much, because you know they're drivers, they're racers, they're they're damn good at what they do on their own level. And I think it can be a little bit disrespectful to these guys at times. Yeah, I agree. Like, um, I mean, there there are some guys who.
1: Like, Max Chilton, I don't put him on the same level as Alex. Mm. I,
3: I think I'd agree with that.
1: <laughs> right? And and Rubens was kind of on the downward swing of his career. Yeah. I, mean, I came worked, over here and kind of, yeah. kind of floundered. But when you yeah. saw Alonso hop in the car at Indy and in, you know, five laps, he was, like, right at speed and he came in and we were like, oh, why weren't you flat here? And he's like, well, my my foot wanted to be, but my brain was not ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, like, he... he it's very I, – I, here's the difference. When I – when we work – having worked with Alonzo at Indy, the interesting thing about the very, very top drivers is they'll come in and tell you very limited what the car is doing wrong. Like, it's understeer, it's oversteer, period. Yeah. The guys who are just, just a notch down, you know, just that couple tenths off, they're always like, we might find something that reduces understeer, but it's more uncomfortable to drive and they won't deal with it. So they'll say, yeah, it was an understeer reduction, but it was, it was a bad understeer reduction. Yeah. Whereas a guy like Alonzo will be like, yeah, it was understeer reduction. Bam, let's do it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, remember, I remember with Alonzo, one of the things, we, you know, at Indy you kind of gradually trim out to go faster and faster, and he was, like, stunned. At the end of the first day, why we
3: didn't just show up with the fastest car we could possibly do, and we're like,
1: "Well, yeah. it doesn't really work like that."
3: Yeah. And you've got, and you've got, you know, a, a month almost to work through it, rather than you know, two half, two ninety-minute sessions like having a Formula One car.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. Um, and it's so. And you're you're on the edge more at Indy than you are on a road and street oh, yeah. course. Like, it, you can save the car on a road and street course 90% of the time on an oval. You, you can't.
3: <laughs> every So, I guess, uh, you know, Indy, every 10 seconds, you're a blink of an eye away from sticking it in the wall, aren't you? At <laughs> a pretty high speed. <laughs> yeah, um, and
1: a 150G and a, and a impact.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that wakes you up pretty quickly, I'm sure. Um, another question I have is... One thing I've always said, and especially, you know, having lived over here for a while now, there are one of the things that I think IndyCar struggles with at times is there are so many fantastic road courses and especially road courses in this country. I mean, brilliant, brilliant road courses that IndyCar just doesn't go to, whether that's for financial or political reasons or whatever it may be. If you could pick any course that you don't go to now and you take an IndyCar to, where would it be to race? Yeah, um, well, I'd, I'd go back to Watkins Glen. I love that place. Yeah. It's So
1: fast and so high commitment. And um, I like Mossport. You you said this yep. country, but wow. Mossport again.
3: Yeah, this this, got, this guy, continent.
1: Mossport. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I'd have to think. I, I guess my thing was I love high commitment circuits like like Road America Elk, yeah. or uh, you know circuits like that mid ohio is for sure one
3: um, yeah and I, yeah. I think sometimes when you look at some of these you know, i think code is a great circuit out there in texas but it's almost you know with the way it's designed these modern formula one circuits it's just too anemic almost you know there's a guy can, you know a driver can make a mistake and he just runs across a six acres worth of, of asphalt that doesn't really cause him any trouble and he gets back on and tries again you know some of these circuits that yeah. you guys go to uh you know you're in you're in a farmer's field if you make a mistake and uh <laughs> it's great uh it's great to watch i love it and final question uh i'm on yep. a, a sort of a, an enforced hiatus from motorsport at the moment so if you've got any jobs going you know you've got frank's details just uh you know let frank know i'll give you a call okay <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well, it it seems like we always need people like indie like IndyCar car series the i don't know if nascar is the same but it seems like the age of the workforce is really going up at a linear rate like one year (laughs) every year and it doesn't seem like there's young people coming in so we're really struggling to
3: yeah like when they
1: they talk about adding
3: cars every year i'm always like where are we going to get people i like (laughs) it's a very it's a hard industry isn't it i mean as you say you know especially for you guys the, the sort of hours you work i mean that's all I've ever done pretty much has been motorsport. And at the moment, I'm working for uh, an engineering company that isn't in motorsport. And, you know, as soon as it hits four o'clock, that place is empty. And I'm like, yeah. you know, it, I just don't. It, it's, it's quite hard to motivate yourself when you've grown up in that environment. And people who haven't worked in motorsport don't understand that, you know, the, the getting home at three o'clock in the morning after a test event or a race or whatever it is, it's exhausting. But you know what? It's so much fun in a very strange and perverse way.
1: it is but it's the competition and it's the it's the team aspect that i keep doing like
3: you know i can't i've looked at getting
1: out oh go ahead sorry
3: i mean i can't drive a car to save my life apart from a road car but you know so for me as a you know I, i was lucky i was able to combine my engineering background with motorsport which was my you know something i enjoyed as a kid so i've been very very lucky to be able to combine those two but you know As you said, the competitive edge of it, because, you know, if you're if you're there till, you know, 10 o'clock, then somebody else is going to be there till 11 o'clock.
2: Well, that's that's there's there's people in the sport that work in the sport. And then there's racers. Yeah. And that's the difference.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's what I like that. When I said I come home and I work a few more hours like this is the we just built a new house. And this is the first time I've ever had a home office, so normally I would just stay at work and work late you know, really late at work and now I can come home and it's like my favorite thing to do is like come home, log into the VPN and just get back into it and I yeah. Really, uh,
3: really yeah, a lot of people yeah, don't understand it. that. It's a very <laughs> yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's a very uh, it's a very strange lifestyle that people live in racing, but it's uh, it's quite addictive. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know it's good fun. Uh,
0: Jeremy, you have been a great guest tonight. Um he- you know now indycar is off to mid-ohio which is pretty much your home grand prix right there you're uh from, yeah you're from ohio um yeah, you've probably been to the track as a kid um i word on the street is that you grew up in the hood in ohio <laughs> yeah, grew, uh although, Ro- although rossi said rossi says that uh you think you're hood, but you're not. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, generally, what we do, we always make picks for the race. And um, I, who, who do you who do you like, Jeremy? You think maybe that Rossi kid's going to win him in Ohio? I
1: I think we have a good shot. We didn't test there, so I don't know kind of where our performance is. It was one of the tracks we we chose not to test at because we were pretty pretty strong there last year. Um. But if you look at the recent test coming up, it looks like Robert Wickens he, he had a half second on the field at the last test, so looks like they'll be pretty strong. So
3: yeah. He and, deserves and a win, I think, was, doesn't he?
1: Dixon, yeah, man, that guy's a masher. <laughs> I like him a lot. And it's funny because him and Alex keep running into each other, but like <laughs> literally ten minutes afterwards they're like, Oh, what are you doing this weekend? And they're like, you know, off and chumming again. So
3: <laughs> Yeah. The, oh, the media try to make something of it, don't they? And uh, if you ask what the drivers really think, a lot of the times they're, you know.
1: Well, I think it, they're they're angry for they're angry for a few hours, right? And then it's like, ah, whatever. Next
0: month. So.
3: <laughs> because probably, if the roles were reversed, they'd have probably done exactly the same thing. Oh, for sure. <laughs>
1: That's so.
0: It's so funny because last week our guest was um, James Hinchcliffe's James Hinchcliffe brother, Christopher, who wrote the book. Uh, Jason Checkers, and he was talking about uh, Wickens who he's known since he's like 10 years old. He was like, oh, Robbie said this, Robbie said that. I'm like, okay, I've never called him Robbie, but uh, thank you for that. So, But, um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Wiggins will be good in mid-Ohio. So will Rossi. Um, and let's go throw around the panel quick for a pick. Uh, Gray, who you like for uh, mid-Ohio?
2: How can you go against Scott Dixon?
0: Uh, you you work for yeah. Alexander Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, and yeah, and he wasn't he he had two massive crashes at the last test.
0: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So and they
1: weren't they weren't fast there last year. They finished ninth there last year, I think, or eighth there last year. So yeah,
0: That's yeah,
3: crazy, isn't it? Damn, there you go. <laughs> There you Ray, go. I mean, All I mean, right. He's,
2: lead, he's leading the points, and he's won there more than anybody. So yes, gonna, yes, he uh, has. That, sure. That's I'm a that's
0: that's a good pick, Gray Richard. Who do you like? Who do you like from Mid Ohio? Um, I'm
3: gonna say Joseph New Garden.
0: Always a good pick. Yeah, New Garden can win any day. Joey, who you like?
4: Uh, well, first off, I'll say that it's nice to have Pietro Fittipaldi come back after oh, yeah. his injury. He's coming back this this weekend at Mid-Ohio, so it's yeah, really good yep. to see. Uh, that said, um, Jeremy, thanks for coming on the show. It's been fun. But I'm going to have to go with Pietro's teammate, Sebastian Borde, this
0: weekend. <laughs> Another good pick right there. But I'll, I'll just go out on a limb, and I'll go with Rossi. Uh, just because i like jeremy I, I think yep i think you've uh, you've got this down so um uh but you know jeremy thanks again for coming on but let let us let you go i know um you 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 know you're busy you probably want to get back to the to the laptop or get back to the family so uh uh just let us know where we can follow you on social media
1: uh <laughs> i'm not really on it okay <laughs> yeah a Facebook so account, that's about it
0: <laughs> yeah 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 i know I, yeah, I noticed your last tweet was in 2016 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but yeah. but we, but we can follow we, we can follow the team you know andretti yeah is andretti on track right or we can follow uh yeah yep. alexander rossi um indycar.com <laughs> you can uh catch up with stories there uh some of them written by mr joey barnes so uh
4: Hey, social media is overrated, man. That's all I can say. Yeah,
0: it is. Yeah. Well, I no, I
4: don't so. think I could
1: control my tongue. I'm not that good at it. So.
4: <laughs> I've had to lead a number of things. That's all I can say.
1: <laughs> I can't afford the fines.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: right.
2: Jeremy, I've enjoyed catching up with you, and I, when I see Tommy again, I'll I'll give him your regards.
1: Yeah, and Slugger, if you see him too.
2: Oh, I'll see him. He's Uh-oh, got. He's we'll got. He's up. got a. He's got a gig with Toyota now. So oh, He's living the good
3: life right yeah, now. I think, yeah, right oh, in, yeah. <laughs> he's
2: doing all the NHRA stuff for Toyota. So I imagine he's in Sonoma. Oh, this is weekend. He? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah well. I run into him from time to time. I see Tommy about oh, once or twice a month. So uh, yeah, we'll uh,
1: yeah
2: we'll let him know we we caught up. <laughs> all,
0: all right. right. Well, I
5: well guess
0: yeah. Thanks again. Thanks everybody. again for coming well, on the show uh, again. Guys, Jeremy Millis from uh, Andretti Autosports. Uh, keep your eye on that 27 car. Um, the championship contender for sure. If not this year, certainly next. So. W-H-O-O-P-A-Z-O-O, that's the wizard.com.